This is 4D with Demi Lovato. Today on the show, my friend and creative collaborator, the musical sensation JoJo. Her story is one of resilience, talent, and originality. It's the definition of a comeback story. Hang out with us here in just a minute. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Woo, your eyeshadow is popping. Oh, thank you. Gorgeous. You look so good. Thank you. So gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on and doing this podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you because obviously I love you dearly as a friend, but I've also been a huge fan for like since I can remember. So (laughs) I am so excited to have you. Basically, I want to have conversations on this podcast that are going to hopefully Elevate humanity into the next dimension. What a legacy! That that's incredible. What you know for real? I was watching. I was watching your conversation with Drew Barrymore, and I just I love it. You're getting right to the heart of things, and oh, thank you. Life is all about connections, so I just like that you're bringing this into your, you know, putting this out there as well. Well, thank you. I do want to give you a chance to introduce yourself. My name is Joanna. And I am from New England. I am a lover. I'm someone who loves to connect people. I have had a very colorful and amazing career. I've had a really great experience so far since I put out my first album when I was 13. And I now at 30, it's so crazy to be talking about this 17 year career that I've had so far. So I'm a person who believes in resilience, who believes in people and potential and growth. Yeah, I'm I'm a singer, songwriter. I've done some acting, but more than anything, I really love to connect with people. So that's why I was particularly excited to, to do this with you. Well, thank you. A lot of my fans, they love the song that we did together. And lonely hearts. And I still blare that. It is so good. I'm like, I still bump it in the car. And a part of me too is like, it always somehow transitions from like me and my friends listening to the songs that you sang when we were growing up and then transitioning to your newer stuff. And then I'm like, wait, 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 we have to play it. And then we play it. (laughs) I love it. I want to be in that car singing along with our song. (laughs) Oh my gosh, absolutely. We have to. Well, I wanted to I wanted to talk to you because you have had quite the journey. You talk about how grateful and how 
you've had such an incredible experience in your career, but I, you know, I do know that you've had some difficult times and I wanted to talk to you a bit about that because I think it's important that people know what women in the industry and what women in general have to deal with, but especially women in, in the, the pop industry have to deal with. I was just touching on this very topic with another friend earlier today and we were sharing experiences with each other that we had never shared before, even though we had known each other, you know, to a certain extent, just through the industry and working together and stuff like that. And we realized that a lot of, we had a lot of parallels in our experiences with managers or executives or Mm -hmm. people who have really helped for better or worse, shape our sense of self or how we perceived our our self-worth. And like, even just, I I was realizing that I was so self-conscious about what, somebody in my life that was working with me thought about what I was eating that I never ordered what I wanted to eat when I went out <laughs> because I was, so, because I just knew that there would, they would be like, oh, I can't believe she ate that before the, the, the night of a video shoot. I knew I'd hear about it gossipy around me right. the next day. And then I'd feel like, okay, well now, now I'm bloated and they can tell that I had too much sodium. I know this sounds ridiculous, but I also know you understand because yes. all of us have been through that, especially if we started, you know, years ago, because I think that there's less and less room for that now. I think that the generation that's coming up is not tolerating that. I think yes. that if they're, and, and I love God. that spirit. Thank God that, that that's not what's happening. But I really felt dictated to, and I really felt like I was kind of under the thumb. I, I felt like a, a little girl who I wasn't able to really grow into. How do I want, how do I feel comfortable? Who? I don't care who you think I should be dating who do I love? Like what, how, what, how do I want to express myself through my personal style, through musical choices, all these things. I I gave too much energy to the opinions of a a select few people who I just allowed them to tell me who I was supposed to be because defining yourself is scary. Yes. You know, it feels risky. Yeah. I think, and there's also something to be said about how young you were when you came into the industry and yeah. and same for me, you know, I started on Barney and friends. So, you know, when, like, when I, when I say I've been in, in this a long time too, it, it's granted, it started with a dinosaur, but <laughs> I love dinosaurs. I have a dinosaur tattoo and Barney was from childhood. So thank you. I, I stand. I can't. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, of course. Oh no. Um, but yeah, it was just like, I, I look back and I think we didn't really have opportunities to bloom into the young, well, when I identified as a woman, a young woman, you know, I didn't have that opportunity to bloom into that because there were so many people telling us how to live, you know? Out of their own fear or understanding of what a pop star is supposed to be, what a woman is supposed to be, especially the the pressures of like, I'm not saying there are no pressures now. Of course there are. Of course. In in the early 2000s, there was a specific look. I know you know what it is because I remember being Mm -hmm. told about what other girls were doing to be slim. And it was like, well, they're working out four times a day and they're on this diet pill and they're doing that. So why aren't you doing that? Like, do you want to compete? And it was that when I think about it, I'm like, it didn't even give my impressionable self the chance to just, like you said, develop. Mm-hmm. And just to go through the process of growing and maturing, I was I was put on like a very restrictive calorie diet at 18 yeah. because I was transitioning into the adult JoJo. So like that was there was an expectation that now I'd compete with 
you know, a different group of girls, even the spirit of competition is so negative and yeah. uh, counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And I was injecting myself with these hormones or whatever it was I was given by this nutritionist. And it, for, it took me years to reclaim my relationship with food or my body. And, mm. you know, yeah, it just made me feel more self-conscious than I should have. Absolutely. What are, what are ways that you have found either today or in this journey of reclaiming your body, your relationship with food, what are ways that you've been able to do that or, or tips or tricks that have made it, I guess, easier for you to have a healthier relationship with food and exercise today? I don't know if it's, I mean, these, these would be my personal, what, what, what is working for me? And it's a, Mm -hmm. I, I am on a roller coaster, a sliding scale of how I feel about myself, how I relate to the world, how, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things. And for me, I I started to understand the benefit that I reap from, from sweating, from feeling strong, from having a mind body connection. And I really was like, I want these free drugs that my body creates when I'm exerting myself. I was like, I want more of that. Mm -hmm. And I find that when I'm consistent with it and when I'm like outside or I'm working out or I'm just playing or dancing or moving my body and, you know, yoga, whatever it is, I feel better. So, and that's, that has nothing to do with trying to achieve a result. It was always yeah. results oriented when I was put with a trainer, when I was a teenager or earlier in my twenties. And it was like, you, you, you have to do this. You have to get ready for this. Yeah. And now I'm more interested in routines and pleasure and balance, enjoyment, and knowing that this is the one body that I have so I would like that to work for me. So I need to take care of it and engage with it. And we're so lucky to be able-bodied that I think about mm. that a lot. I'm like, my body can do all these things. I would like to flex. I'd like to try. Yeah. Um, so I got more more curious and less result-driven. And then oh, I, cool. I started to enjoy that more. But I would like to ask you the same question. Like, what? I, I know it's been a journey for you. So what what works for you? Well, thank you. It is. It's still a journey. And, you know, it was funny is I had a a guest on my podcast, Glennon Doyle, and we were talking about body image and we were we were talking. I think I had said she said, like, do you how is your relationship with recovery today? And I said, you know, I I don't really deal with negative thoughts anymore. And my relationship with food and exercise has become a lot uh, healthier. And then Bam, just like that, I went through a period of time where I just, I bought a scale. I was struggling. And and I think that it was a period of time where I needed to learn that this doesn't work for me again. And so- and Sometimes so it's we need like, to learn those same things a few times, bang our head against the wall. Like, I, yeah. I can't have a scale. I don't want mm-hmm. to. It mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. It makes me feel really, it sends me into a, a, a bad thing. And I, I've had to learn that several times as well. Yeah. And me too. And, and so now I've, it's still in my house. I haven't been able to get rid of it because it is such a crutch, but I don't step on it. So like I'm making progress, but it's not there yet. And it's like, I just, uh, yeah, I had to have an experience where I, where I was able to see that this doesn't work for me anymore. And I think it was because I felt invincible. Like I was in a place where I was like, oh no, I'm good. I'm recovered. And then I went through something kind of like in, in the media and it spun me back into that spiral. Mm. And, and so it's like, 
I don't know if there's certain things that exactly like like you said, I don't know if there's certain things that necessarily change the game for me. It's just like it's realized sometimes I just kind of have to listen to my body. Yesterday I woke up and I had a thought where I was like, I would love to break a sweat today. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like think too that much would about feel it. Good. Yes, that would that bring would, me joy. Yes. That would be that'd be dope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite things is getting on the treadmill and just singing my little heart out because mm-hmm. it gets my lungs in good shape, you know, it's helpful to my voice and it passes the time. So yeah. I just I just sing and it's finding ways that are finding things that are fun for you, like you said, getting in nature, things like that. But and I, to, to your point, when you were like, I was flying high, I was feeling mm-hmm. so good. I was like, I'm recovered. I'm in a great place. I think that, I mean, ego has two sides to it and it can mm-hmm. make us feel like nothing. And then mm-hmm. it can make us feel like the biggest, baddest bitch on the planet. Yeah. And, and I have to sometimes bring myself like to a middle ground where I'm like, you're, you're, neither of those things are true. Right. And, and just check in because I, I have a tendency to sometimes have that, that same, it's, it's ego. And, and, it, yeah. and, and, and that contributes to my depression and anxiety and, and things that I've experienced. But I have to remind myself that it's not the truth. So. Yeah. Ego, a, a, a term that I always heard for ego is edging God out. I love that. Can you talk about the free JoJo movement? Because I thought it was so mm. impactful that your fans took it upon themselves to start this movement. Can you tell the story a little bit? Yeah. Stuck under your label. They weren't letting you release music. I signed my first record deal when I was 12 and everything was great. I had a lot of success with them with my first two albums. And it, it really was, it felt like a family. And these were my uncle figures, father figures, brothers, and they were extremely influential in my in my life and me as a young person. And unfortunately, I got caught up in some things that they were caught up with and they were no longer a functioning record label, but wouldn't let me out of my contract. So I didn't own my voice contractually and I wasn't able to put out music in the way that I had been putting it out, you know, through the official channels of doing things and radio and that whole thing. So I sued them for the first time at 18 to try to get the rights to my voice back and just get out of this contract so I could either be independent or sign another deal. And I was told that this contract was ironclad, that I'd never get out, that I should figure out another career. At that time, you know, my family was like, Joe, you're a very smart girl. Just go to college. And pursue something else because you cannot get out of this. Like this is ironclad. And I was deeply depressed. That was my first time experiencing depression that I thought was just circumstantial. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll overcome this and I'll be okay. And I, I started coping in different ways, you know, drinking to excess and hanging out with people that were not right for me and partying. And anyway, just touching on that. Then a few years later, I did find these set of lawyers that agreed to help find a loophole. They found one. And it was that you can't hold a minor to a personal service contract for longer than seven years. The statute was up and I was able to get out on that. And my fans during that time, I was able to connect with them via social media. That's when Twitter was really starting to be the thing. And I think Instagram was as well, but I was like always tweeting with, with, with people and staying connected that way. And even through YouTube, And I would put up little singing videos or I would tell them a little bit about what I was going through. And I think they started to catch wind. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. some articles had been written like on Billboard talking about the 
flight, the, the, my mm-hmm. uh, contract thing. And they started like this hashtag free Jojo. And I really did feel like I was this caged bird that I was like, okay, every, all my peers are able to play and flourish and do their thing. And I felt embarrassed. I felt mm. ashamed. I felt really confused as to why this was going on. And if it weren't for my fans, letting other people know who didn't know and didn't care, you know, weren't familiar with what was going on. I, I don't know where I would be. I, that depression could have really taken me out. I was engaging in behaviors that were very risky. You know what I mean? Yeah. They let me know that I, I wasn't alone. And if I fought there, they'd be there for me on the other side, that they cared. Mm-hmm. And just sometimes to know that somebody cares makes all the difference. Oh, yeah. Well, I just want you to know that I also cared deeply. I was like, where is JoJo's music? <laughs> I, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't even, I didn't even know what was going on. I just didn't yeah. know. I knew that you weren't releasing music and you had covered Marvin's Room yes. on YouTube and oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I was getting creative in other ways and like not making any money from that, releasing right. mixtapes and they were streaming amazingly, but I wasn't able to make a living from it because right. I didn't own my voice. So we were doing these non-traditional type of things, which at the time wasn't as as like commonplace as it is now, artists right. covering other people's songs and like doing mixtapes yeah. and stuff. But so I was keeping myself engaged with my fans that way because otherwise I was like, I'm gonna die. Like I, I, right. I I'm gonna do something that is not gonna that will not allow me to continue to live. You know yes. what I'm saying? So yeah. I just but a lot of people thought that I, I went to college or that I just decided not to do music or maybe mm-hmm. I had a baby or maybe I did this or that. People just didn't know. And right, that's, right. that's just how, how it goes. We have a short attention span. I do too. Right. I'm just, I'm so grateful that you were able to feel the support and the love of your fans because of all people, I know what that's like and how yeah. how impactful it can be when you feel like you are at rock bottom, but you have an army of people who don't personally know you, but support and love you from a distance so much that you feel like you can carry on even though you're at your rock bottom. I know what that's like and it's yeah. and it's so impactful. It's also really incredible that you are still fighting and still churning out music. And, you know, after after all they did to help get your story out, you're, you're turning around and, and giving the music right back to the fans. I think that's really powerful and incredible. They're what compel and propel me to keep pushing forward when it's difficult because music is one thing. The business mm-hmm. side of it is a complete other thing. Yes. And it's almost like an oxymoron. Like music is so fun and I can't believe that this is our job and it's such a joy and a pleasure. But then the industry, the yes. business, I fucking hate it. Yes. I, really, I, I really am not good at at the bullshit or the posturing, the positioning, the like, do, you know, I, that does not come naturally to me. So right. just the, the purity of like us loving music and fans loving music and me being a fan of music, you being a fan of music, that's mm-hmm. the purity that I, that I live for. And I really enjoy. And yeah. you, you, you said something about rock bottom and I don't think that I have reached or ever did reach a rock bottom for me. Mm. And I think that that can be a dangerous thing as well, because you're like, everything's cool. Everything's fine. Like I, I haven't, you know, there's still further for me to, to go. And I I don't know if that, that makes any sense, but I think that that was almost like 
that enabled me for a long time mm. um, because I because I didn't hit rock bottom. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. There were times where I felt like, oh, well, I hadn't hit rock bottom. So I kept going until I actually did. And and I know what you mean, how how that can be enabling. Yeah, that is a dangerous thought. You're absolutely right. I also Um, really liked that, that people would always come up to me and be like, you know, I, I never saw you stumble out of a club drunk or I never saw you, I never saw your pussy on the internet. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like people have literally come up and said wild shit like that to me. And I'm like, it's only by the grace of God that you haven't because <laughs> I've been all those places. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. I've been that mess. It's just that cameras weren't there. Like right. people weren't checking for me like that. So I'm so grateful that because all of that shit is true. I've done all those things and Anyway, I just wanted to say that because I do think that, I do I do think that there's like a misconception that like wow, Joe just had it together all this time. Right. No, I didn't. Right. So. Well, you know, you're human. You said that you had fans come up to you and say, "I'm so <laughs> glad I didn't see you stumbling out of a bar or whatever." But uh, what what do you think is the coolest thing that you heard from a fan either during that time of, you know, when you needed motivation to to keep fighting or or after, what, did, what was the coolest thing that you heard from a fan? Something that comes to mind is a fan telling me that they went to law school to, to get into like music business law because they were inspired by my situation and coming out on the other side of it. And I just thought that was so cool because they had been a fan for as long as I've been doing this and we grew up together. And I was just I, like, you're such a boss. This is so amazing like I was so inspired and, and the fact that they and they like tagged me in their graduation photo and, uh, and they talked about how they wrote like I don't know if I their final chills. thesis was that but isn't that amazing I have full body chills that's so incredible wow and look at because you told your story and you shared it with people you know this girl is able to to fight for something that she believes in as well you helped her find her passion that's so empowering that's so cool I think cool. that's so cool I mean yeah. maybe one day she'll represent me it's so yeah. amazing yeah it's also it's I love the story of women supporting other women that's so that's so needed and so impactful in this industry yeah I always I always love that too it makes me feel great my my manager is a woman I'm surrounded by incredible inspiring people. My mom is living with me right now. We're cohabitating and it's just, yeah, it's, it's everything. Wait, not you and I getting our moms together and having a brunch. Cause I totally, Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You and I doing that. (laughs) So one thing that I loved about and, and still do love about your voice is how much soul you have in your voice. And I, First off, I want to know where did those influences come from? Like, what did you grow up listening to? And then secondly, I want to, I want to ask, um, you know, was it difficult for you to enter the pop industry because you did have so much soul in your voice? You know, did you find that you had to kind of maybe, I don't know what the word is. I think I, think I yes, I <laughs> yeah. love your questions. I love where this is going. And I, I, <laughs> I just, this is cool because I want to talk to you singer to singer as well. I think yes. this is an interesting conversation. Okay, so thank you for what you said about soul. Like, that's what I've always been drawn to regardless of genre. I think that, yes. that like that, that authenticity or that you can feel someone's humanity, their, their experience in, yes. in their voice. I really am drawn to singers like that. So... I would say that my like 
my icons that I really studied and just tried to sing like growing up were Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Etta James. And even I loved like the grit of Bob Seger and let's see who else, Joni Mitchell. I really loved her, her range and her songwriting, yeah. James Taylor. So that's more on a smooth, a smoother side and more like yeah. storytelling and folk. And then as I got a little bit older, I really admired singers like Jill Scott and Erica Badu and mm. India Ari and D'Angelo. And um, I love music. I could literally talk about it all my entire life and just something else. <laughs> and awesome. then, so I did not see myself as a pop singer, mm-hmm. especially when I was younger. And I, genre, it's weird to talk about genre or to like confine yourself to a genre anyway, but then it was just put, kind of put on me after yes. I had such big success with my first single, Leave Get Out. And when I cut that song, I was like, yeah, this is a catchy song, but I'm not a pop singer. So mm-hmm. I didn't really even think that it would make sense in my album. Because if you listen to the rest of my first album, it's pretty R&B. Right. And so it kind of, I felt like Leave It Out stood alone. I felt like I needed to exist within a, a box. I'm not saying it's like a bad box, but it's a, you kind of, I know that I softened some of my edges. I lessened some of my intensity, especially mm-hmm. over the years, especially as like, times changed. And I was told time and time again that like, you know, can you sing softer or can you try try this or that? That really impacted me. Also, when you have such success so young, of course, you're just going to be more vulnerable to people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely sang differently when I was just having fun and there was no like no expectation. Then when expectation and money came into play, it, def- it did change things. I also noticed um, like a period of time when I was singing, I I always, the, if you looked up videos of like, like I loved singing to Kelly Clarkson too. Like yes. her, her thankful album was so soulful. And I remember like there's videos of me at like 12 and 13, like singing to that song, uh, the, the Trouble with Love. And mm. And then if you were to fast forward to me at 15, 16, recording my second album, I remember I took off some of the vibrato mm. on, like when holding out some of the notes and just hold, held them out straight because yes. I thought that it would sound cleaner and it sound did. cleaner on a record. And, yes. and I'm just, and maybe you thought, okay, maybe I'll do that live, but like, yeah. But, yeah. you know, and, and especially if different effects are being used on your vocal, you know that yeah. when there's a certain effect that the vibrato is not going to, it's not yeah. going to sound complimentary. It's just going to get in the way. But it's like, hold on, my humanity is getting in the way of, <laughs> of the song. Like, huh? Yeah. It's, it's actually really strange. And I don't know if you relate to this, but sometimes if I, and I, I haven't actually gone back and, and watched videos in a while of me, even before, you know, at, mm. at like 10, 11 years old, yeah. because it makes me sad. It mm. makes me sad to see the innocence that I've lost or the, the connectedness. The, I had no self, I was not self-conscious at all. And, right. and, to, and to see that, to see little Joanna like that, it, it makes me sad, but I know she's still in there. Mm-hmm. I know you, that's still there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that if, if anything, when I go back to play those videos, I'm like, Look at how much soul I used to have at that age. <laughs> used know? to? I mean, you know you still do though, right? I mean, but, but yeah, but it's just like amazing to see, wow, like 
you've always been, it's always been there. It's right. the truth. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, like I, I was, like, I kind of always, sh- if I play those videos for some of my friends that, like, love music and didn't see those videos of me, I pull it out and I'm like, this is, this is the singer I've always been, you know? Yes. And, and it's cool to be able to go back to those moments and be like, that was, that was still in me at that age. And it's, yes. and it's always been there. You talk specifically about softening some of your edges and mm. and your music. Do you feel like you had to soften some of the edges in your life too? Like did did how people put their opinions on you and your career, did that affect your personal life as well? I'm really a sensitive person and I do take things in and that's why I have to now be very discriminate as to whose energy I take in and mm. who I, I listen to. But yeah, it just made me doubt. And I'm thinking about why I've never been public in a relationship. It's because of the fear of people's opinions and wanting to keep that sacred and not wanting, not wanting to allow this, like this new thing or this old thing or whatever it is, just wanting to keep that as much to me as possible, but it's also because I don't know if I'm getting off topic here, but I, mm-hmm. I was my first relationship when I was 13, 14 years old, he was a professional soccer player, just a couple years older. And we went on a red carpet together and we were really, the, the, the comments were so judgmental and negative and focused on, um, the interracial nature of our relationship. And this was 15 years ago. It was a different climate. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that did leave, that, that made me really want to protect and to make sure that that never happened again to whoever mm-hmm. I was with. I don't know if that makes sense, but it made me hypervigilant. And, um, and even when I was told from d- different people, like, you know, since you're a white woman in, in your, your, I, I, this is the truth. I am a guest in the culture, in R&B culture, in, in black music. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, this is a tradition that is, that I'm a part of, but it's not mine. And they're like, you know, you got to really walk at this careful line. You shouldn't talk about race. You shouldn't talk about, you know, social justice and things like that. When 2020 happened, that, that no longer was, yeah, that, that was unacceptable to me. And I didn't care about any advice that I had retained over the years. It was just, I, I can't live for other people and I can't be silent on things that matter to me. And yeah, that's, that's what I want to say about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think that, you know, last year we were all faced with a decision and it was to either continue to, you know, listen to those people who said, keep your opinions to yourself or it was to stand up for what is right. And, and I'm so between fear and love. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that it's so I'm proud of, you know, everyone who did choose love instead of fear because that's what it's about. So after years of not touring, Mm. you, you finally started to tour again and then the pandemic canceled. (laughs) Like, what <laughs> that's we're just getting in a groove horrible timing what what did you think about that i turned my thoughts from 
oh my God, to, oh my God, everybody else. You know what I mean? Because everybody was affected by this. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm gonna, I guess this is the time for me to make a Christmas album. I guess this is the time for me to, you know, write, write more and to, Mm -hmm. and to expand in ways that I don't when I'm on the road. Like I really got into plant-based cooking and to like having fun in the kitchen, baking, trying out new things, exploring other sensual joys that I have, because I think that I, I really love taste, smell, sound, all these things. So I explored that more in a, in a home way. And, um, but it definitely, it, it made me freak, freak out a little bit. I'm like, can I, can I still sing? Can, can I still sing live? Can I still perform? <laughs> right. Like what, you know, how's it feel to have the in-ear monitors in, which by the way, I don't like wearing in-ears. I always have one out. There's always a problem with it. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't get, get used That's to true. it. Uh, so doing the show, the mass singer that I did, um, earlier this year kind of gave me a confidence back of, of performing because I hadn't been in front of people for a little while. Like it's, it's kind of, I, I feel like if you don't lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. It's not always true, but it's like riding a bike. I had to get yeah. back in practice. Yeah. How long had it been since you had performed? Um, I had been doing virtual things as a lot of us had, like from the crib or, yeah, you know, in a studio. But as far as being on a stage, I, it had been a year and a half probably. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes me just a few months to be like, oh, I suck now. So I just have to do it like all the time. <laughs> me too. I, I'm yeah. I'm so hard on myself, but I've also found that a part of my perfectionism is what makes me feel so great about completing my projects. You know, I can, mm. I feel, I feel good. I, I've learned to like, not um, just, you know, shame my perfectionism, but also like to, understand the gifts that come from some of my shortcomings and some of the gifts that come from, from my perfectionism are the fact that I can listen to a project years later and be like, you know what, when I turned that in, I felt really good about it because I, I spent hours listening to it. Yes. I obsessed and I went back and I re-recorded things and I, you know, that that attention to detail, that's great because then you can, you you won't feel regretful for for the the time that you didn't take on that. Yes, absolutely. So I feel you on that. What are you listening to these days? I am loving Lucky Day's album, Table for Two. So good. I'm obsessed with Yeba. She might be my favorite vocalist. So good. Yeah. Woo! I was just listening to October Sky, absolutely losing my shit in the car. So good. I just appreciate her freedom and her her freedom, her her vulnerability, her acrobat. I, I appreciate everything about her mm-hmm. as a, as a vocalist. Mm-hmm. So I love Lucky's project and all the duets on there. I love Jasmine Sullivan's project. Yes. Um, she's her and Yeba are probably my two favorite singers right now. Mm. And what else have I been listening to? I'm constantly listening to jazz. I'm a bit of a, uh, old lady in an elevator when it comes cool. to jazz. Like I <laughs> went, like, if you get in my car, you'll be like, Joe, why is, why are you listening to this? But I'm like listening to like vibraphone like somebody oh my gosh that's so dope it calms me I I like to listen to all all different types of jazz whether it's like a a new movement of jazz with like Robert Glasper and Thundercat and Kamasi Washington or older stuff like John Coltrane Miles Davis or Latin jazz or I I really really love just the musical bed of it so sometimes not listening to singers as much as I love listening to singers I also really love just um, instrumentation 
Absolutely. So I would say that's what I'm listening to. Also, J. Cole's new project. Um, I'm always listening to Kendrick Lamar and mm-hmm. D'Angelo. And yeah, what about you? Um, Sinead Harnett. Yes, her project. That's my girl. Oh, it's Ready so is always good. too late. Oh, I'm it's so happy so you said that. She yes. is great. Yeah, I've been listening to that. It's so good. Um, Demi, you do such an amazing job of uplifting and celebrating talent from all genres, from all walks, and oh. that are, you know, whether they're new, I really want to celebrate you for that. You, you always bring attention and use your platform to uplift other artists. I, I, oh I personally appreciate that, how you do it for me and how you do it for others. I think it's oh, amazing. Absolutely. Music is the greatest gift to humanity. Every time I have a guest on my show, I ask them, what does 4D look like to you? And the way that I describe it is uh, 4D to me is just about the the state of being your most authentic self. And um, and it's, yeah, it's having these conversations that are going to raise our frequency or elevate us into the next dimension. So what does 4D look like to you? Ooh, what a cool question. Um, and I feel like nothing's off limits here, so I'm just going to yeah. f- feel free to say it. When I think of what that is, it's been my experience with psilocybin. I feel as though... Work! I, I feel as though it's not something that you need to do all the time. It might not be for everyone, but I think that um, my experience with microdosing or even having a full experience with psychedelic mushrooms Mm -hmm. allowed me to detach from my ego, Mm -hmm. stop ruminating and actually see the interconnectedness of all living things. So I'm sitting in my living room right now and I'm looking out the window and I'm able to perceive the, the trees as I perceived them when I had that, you know, when I saw things in, in 4D or 5D or whatever, all my senses were, th- there was no fear. There was only love, mm-hmm. connectedness. I feel like that's the truth. And I feel like the world and society and different things get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes th- th- there can be a little gateway, uh, an, an assistant. And for me, it was that, um, mm-hmm. to, to remembering that truth before all the shit came in and, you know, got in the way of that. So right. that's my long winded answer. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm so happy you were able to have such a positive and loving experience. Um, Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. I love that answer. I love you. And I love love you too. All of your music. And I just, I'm I'm so grateful that you came on here today. And thank you. We got to hang out soon. Demi, thank you so much for asking me to do this. I love the conversations you're having, just uncovering important topics and I I have nothing but love for you and I hope to see you soon. Yes, absolutely. When you laugh, you're you're in your whistle register. It's amazing. I'm like, this bitch is like it is so ill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so impressed. I'm still trying to figure out how to sing it. How to have control of it. Me too. Yes. I don't know how to have control of it. I can hit it in my laughs, but I can't can't do it in a song. I don't, I don't believe that though. Well, I feel like maybe you can help me with belting and we can figure out our our whistle together because I want to have that supportive belt. I got you, but you need no help. Thank you. (laughs) Yes.
Okay. Okay, I love you, babe. Love you. I'll see you later. Thank you. All right. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye.